that is the intro music to Sunday Scotch Session. It's been a year and two months since we last had a Scotch Session. We're doing a bit of something different. We've got a bit of uh, video happening as well today. We're recording on a different device. It's because we're in Gothenburg. We were in Copenhagen earlier today, but we're not there anymore. We are. Welcome to Scandinavia. Thank you very much. It's good to be here and good to make the long journey. I think I'm still a touch jet lag, but it's not too bad. I just thought you were a bit grumpy, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice to have you here, though. Uh, I haven't had many visitors in the last year. Um, been learning it up a bit. What have, you, what have you been educating yourself on over the last year? I've been reading a bit widely, a bit more widely. I have to say, less newspapers, more books. Because I was a shocker at books. Just couldn't get through them. I made me bored. I hate fiction. And so now you feel you're better educated. I'm just reading more widely on topics rather than taking the... Could be part of your environment as well, being in Europe, one might say. So, what, um, in terms of music, you've been impressed with what you've seen over here so far? Yeah, I haven't gotten out to a lot. I went to the big uh, Scandinavian European festival, Roskilde. I was pretty impressed with how that was logistically set out. Um, Big acts wide spectrum the whole week yeah. lots of age group I didn't do the eight days no way I didn't even camp um, but music wise yeah I mean the Scandinavians are very very well known for their pop um, sort of electro music yeah um, and the Danes are a bit more like the Germans a bit more into their rocky bands and the Norwegians and the Finnish are a bit more into their heavier stuff well we're going to hear a mix of stuff tonight so in your seats and get ready for a ride because don't look at the screen, Peter. Don't, I don't want you getting any ideas on what's going to be playing. Don't well, pretty interesting. Because well, we, we, we left this session what, just over a year ago. Mm-hmm. I was given the task and the privilege of sharing 10 tracks mm-hmm. and that blew out to a drunken hedonistic 20. It did. And I think you'd easily say that... Um, you call it indulgence, you could say that it's just hard to choose only 10 tunes when you've been listening to music for as long as we have. So you're pretty confident that we're going to hear your top 20? It's going to be emotional. I think there's going to be, uh, I think it's around the 20 mark, might be just a little bit less. Mm. So we'll boot it off and we'll see what we're going to... Here. I mean, there's a lot of nostalgia in there, which I'll have to explain, and you'll, you'll be surprised by probably a couple of tunes in there over the choice of them, but I had a good think about it today and uh, over the last couple of days. I think it's a pretty interesting mix. Mm. It says a lot about what I've listened to over the years. And you're going to keep it relatively in order, so starting from yep, the, young, the young Coxinator. It is. It's starting from the, the earlier stuff going right into... Modern day, so... Uh, I'll set this scene for me then, so give me an idea of uh, where you first heard music, and... Um... Well, let's see, let's... Um, well, what I'll do is I'll play the first couple of songs, and then we'll talk about them, because it'd be unfair to go through it now, I think. It's all around 
Foxy, it's been a while since I heard that one. Um, I do recall it from many childhood mixtapes. Big Italian house classic with some with some trance riffs. It was the Guru Josh. What can you say? Everyone's still ripping off that saxophone line there, and I think it's probably the best dance song of my young childhood. Mm. And it was the sole reason I bought, um, not Smash It's 1990, it was 19, nothing compares to the hits of 1990, which you can imagine which song was the biggest hit of 1990, nothing compares to you, but the only reason I got that album was for that song, so it got me, it was my first sort of taste of, um, of dance music mm. and that I really enjoyed uh, electronic music and how powerful it was in terms of just creating a great melody without saying much in the in the way of lyrics and yeah. words the I guess the emotional uh, nature of the of, of the music though the track before that gets many many emotional after a few pints on a dance floor Bon Jovi living on a prayer is the very the, the main reason I bought Slippery When Wet, which was my first cassette, um, I bought from McDonald and East in Brisbane with some Christmas money with my mum. <laughs> um, and she was still questioning my choice because she thought it was a bit, I don't know, Bon Jovi, they're a bit rocky, aren't they? You know, well, living on a prayer, I have been singing it all the way to the YMCA to do my gymnastics every Wednesday, mum. So... <laughs> Probably um, more, probably more popular with the females, I guess. It's just a huge song. Well. It's a huge song, and it was my first uh, cassette. And what I, we even in 1988, our family uh, went to the expo at World Expo in Brisbane, and I even insisted when we went to the wavelength studio that, that was run by a patient, uh, not a patient, a um, one of the customers from our shop. Uh, we had Tuong Whole Foods at the time. This guy knew Dad, and Dad said, oh, he works at Wavelength, he's told us to come in. He said, yeah, do a recording of a song. And you went to a full booth and recorded a song. So we actually have a recording of our whole family doing Living on a Prayer. Oh, wow. The highest, with the highest voices. (laughs) I could hear all those notes without even going to falsetto back then. My balls were very, very high. So there was a bit of Bon Jovi playing in the Coxie household, and I I imagine, like many households in the 80s, there was a fair bit of Fleetwood Mac being played as well. Why did you pick that tune there, out of all of the Fleetwood Mac tunes? So, Fleetwood Mac I didn't really appreciate until probably, I'd say, post-uni period. And the strange thing is, Fleetwood Mac, what it reminded me of, and it still does to this day, is my mum driving around us little kids... Picking up, picking up in the you know, it was a Volvo two four four GM. Oh yes, we had the we had the we had the, we're in the, right we had the tank. We had the tank. <laughs> we're, in the, we're in the right country, all right. Let's park that one. Um, and yeah, the, the the big thing was that it was just nostal- pure nostalgia. Every time I hear Fleetwood Mac, I think of yeah, literally hearing it in the radio. The radio was such a very important part of our um, experience mm. as young kids, and you know, to go and hear those tunes now, you actually have to go listen to the classics or the smooth, 
FM channels and, mm. you know, those kind of stardust and whatever they call them. Because, you know, those, they're really 80s anthems and I think that's probably 83 or something like that. Yeah, it's mid-80s at least. And I, I wonder if there's a semi-conscious uh, memory with 80s movies which significantly used, you know, big hits. Well, I, I can't think of many big 80 blockbusters that used a Fleetwood Max song in, in a significant scene. I, I can't, I don't really know. I mean, I wasn't, you know, a film buff back then, but all I know is that the legacy they left behind, my mum loves them, my mum's friends love them, mm. and everyone down, pretty much to even the young'uns now, mm. they wish they were alive when Fleetwood Mac was around because mm. it was damn good music. And they had some problems. I mean, they. I think they disappeared by at least the late 90s, maybe even the early 2000s, but they did they try and reform, like, a yeah. few years ago? Or? Well, no, they've even toured. My mum saw them, and they, um, they toured this year. Right. And the crazy thing is that apparently um, Mick Fleetwood and John uh, McGilvery, I think it is, are still just as good as Stevie Nicks, because Stevie Nicks still has an amazing voice, apparently. Does she? Well, apparently she's still note perfect. But those two on the instruments are just as sharp. They've lost none of their skills. Wow. She said that... My mum said they were playing solos that were just going out, so... They must have sold out. Yeah, they, they, sell, they sell out. Yeah. You know, I, I missed out on them, and I, I probably, I dare say, I might have missed my chance there, but, um, you know, that's the chance you take. You know, you well, can't where get are the states they from? Oh, couldn't even oh. tell. Well, uh, Mick Fleetwood's from... They're from England. Uh, he's from England. Oh, they're British. Yeah. Oh, I thought they were American for some reason. No. No. I always thought they were a bit folky, but that's how they just looked, I think. It was also, yeah, she was a white witch, she used to call herself. Yeah. So that's it, that's the first three. Coxie, Fleetwood Mac, Bon Jovi, Guru Josh. Oh, yeah. yeah, you surprised me with uh, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, in there, straight into the electronic. I didn't know they were the origins. Yeah, there was a big, big choice between them and the KLF. Yeah. Uh, they were the two acts of early electronica. Yeah. Um, but... The big things changed, you know, and you'll see that in the next few tracks. Well, I enjoyed those, Coxie, and I, I'm very much looking forward to the next few tunes. I, I suspect that things will start getting very dark. Things are going to change. <laughs> things are going to change up a little. And they will lighten again, but there will be a period of darkness. Let's get into the dark. <laughs> Let's get into the dark. <laughs>
mistakes It doesn't have to be like this If you don't make a friend now One might make you so learn the gentle art of making enemies Don't you look so surprised Happy birthday, fucker
it um, actually had almost like some Indian or Arabic calls through it. If you know this, but tell me about it. Tell uh, which band was that? That was Jeff Buckley, Dream Brother. Probably the most influential artist for me in my teenage years. I just um, I was given this album by my uncle Ian, who Ian Skippin's a radio guy in Brisbane. He was on the radio for years and used to get promo albums and. He's just giving me a wad of albums every time I went over his place. And for me as a, a musician, someone who was really into their music, that was just like Christmas every time he went around there. He gave me Massive Attack one time. He gave me Manic Street, Preached Before, and everything. I knew who they were. Mm. And this is the time where there was no real transfer of music over the internet. So if you had albums, they were currency. They were just like cred. People were like, what the hell are these things? Jeff Buckley, I got probably two years before he even was known in Australia. Yeah. And I was already handing out the album to my mates who were playing in bands with me, and wanting to sound like that. Like and then like... everyone was just like, "Whoa, this guy's just phenomenal!" Yeah. Um, and my uncle couldn't understand why he wasn't making a big impact. And I said, "That Jeff Buckley album is the best thing I've, I've heard like in years." Mm. And he goes, "Yeah, it's really good, isn't it?" And the guy's really talented. Anyway, Jeff Buckley, about a year after, becomes popular in Australia and. Um, I actually won tickets to go see him in concert um, and I took my mate Robbo Robbo tried to enter the competition as well but didn't win but he got like third place or something mm. uh, and it was just like a luck thing and I got the album and I got um, he and I tickets we went and saw him at Festival Hall which I ended up working at mm. and yeah he was high as a kite stoned but boy just a presence that blew you away and just reminded me that you could be feminine as a singer because I um, it was a period of very aggressive music and then you hear this guy who can sort of rock as well as make you sing a lullaby mm. in the same songs mm. quite often it was just phenomenal and I don't think anyone had really done that before In and unfortunately he died too early he died in the Mississippi um while he was recording his second album mm. and a lot of people as usual you know once he someone dies they become a lot more popular because it's like well what do they make well this is what he made well, I was going to ask you a question and we'll skip the first tune because yeah. um, people often ask me whether Nirvana would be as popular as they are today if Kurt Cobain hadn't died and my answer is always absolutely yes yeah. as it is with the Joy Division uh, um but for you, what made Nirvana such that teenage voice, necessity, anthem? Nirvana just typified the teen angst and disillusionment that you had with a lot of things that didn't make sense. Like whether it be teachers who were, you know, trying to be overbearing and and like you know thrusting their power upon you a lot of the time because they could they had the control in terms of grades and things and how much your parents were happy with you as well, right? Mm. So there's things like that. There's also kids not fitting in the school that they were at. Um, a lot of different ideas going around at the same time where, you know, kids are really disorientated. And grunge just 
was the perfect vehicle and not so much all of grunge not all of grunge was like that territorial pissings that song for mine is just what nirvana's about it's yeah, fast it's it's brash it's like it's you're trying to make sense of it after you sang the song because it just ga- gathers you up and then throws you against a wall you know yeah. and it makes you bounce like yeah. it just it's got the punch and bounce of a a dance track but it's also got the the gr- the grunge rocky guitars it's not complex, but Dave Grohl really, as you can tell, when I was jumping around like a dickhead a second ago, it's his drums that made them successful. Right. And Tempo. Kurt Cobain said that. He said, without Dave, mm. we weren't the same band. Wow. You started with Nirvana with what album when you were young? The first, I guess. No, that was it. I got that on cassette. That was the last cassette I bought. Cassette. Nirvana on cassette. Yeah, I had that on cassette. Bleach, was it? No, that one was never mind. I didn't have a CD player. And then I realised the change in CDs was coming. And my first CD was King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime by Faith No More. Yes, your third tune. Second tune. Second tune. What was it called? That was Gentle Art of Making Enemies. Now, I know know a few Faith No More tunes. We saw them together. Um, Not a band that I was into as a teenager, but you spoke a little bit about your starting music or your involvement in music um and i imagine you started at singing or did you start with an instrument no i was playing trumpet playing trumpet and faith no more and jeff buckley i just found myself singing to them whereas prior to that and i was going to play us uh miles davis tune because i was playing a lot of jazz trumpet mm. and i was doing exams and things like this and, and i thought it might be all going down the path of jazz but i just got swept up in rock and other styles after that mm. and I was, I was I was a pretty aggressive vocal you know smart ass at the time not a smart ass but I was just more alaric and I liked, liked to mm. you know joke around and have fun but be friendly about it and I wasn't I wasn't you know arrogant or bitter towards people Mike Patton's styling and his voice range and his variety again the guy sings Al Martino's Spanish Eyes as well as Al Martino does, and then he does a Burt Bacharach song, and then he does yeah. um, Italian operetta, and then he does something like that. Yeah, I'm not so impressed he would have been with you and Guru Josh, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you never know, he probably, he probably loves Guru Josh. Mike Patton is someone I'd like to interview someday, or meet him anyway. He's often the, 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 the voice uh, that you imitate, or you copy when, when you sing yeah he i tried to i tried to model not model myself but it was more that i found that i had more in common with his range than any other singer i was like oh i can go down a deep and raw whereas jeff buckley would hit notes that i just never could reach because with such clarity too like he just what were the cox parents saying to stewart are they mum was constantly telling me to shut up with faith no more when it hit i think it was about track Eight or nine is... Gets a bit heavy? Down, look at me, I'm ugly in the morning. Down, look at me, I'm ugly in the morning. Do they have concerns that, that, that their son was a bit of a metal? Or and, they to... uh, no, it wasn't a metal either. Because I'd study with classic on. Mm. So classic music I couldn't sing to. So mum was happy with that. And Jeff Buckley she thought was pretty amazing. And Alicia? What did she And Alicia loved Jeff Buckley. And, and Susanna um, was into like her Britpop at the time so she I used to sing along to a lot of her Britpop um, and Alicia liked her Britpop as well 
but Suzanne took it on another couple of years. Um, but yeah, mum, I don't think it was so much. I think it was more when it got to all sort of the limp biscuit stuff and the corn and yeah. Although everything. Nirvana was hard to take for parents, they hadn't heard that screaming, that sort of yeah, and the Nirvana, vibe. Like Nirvana, I I suppose. I had the cassette player, which was um, portable, so I was listening to that. Whereas when I had the CD player, it was Faith No More, and that was being blasted. Because I went and bought that in auction with my dad, and I was like, I'm blasting the shit now. Mm.
track probably a prodigy track probably the only band that will double up on but probably the only band that you could justify doubling up on pretty period mid to late 90s big new industrial sounds coming through that last one satan that's a 1996 release so you were in about year 11 yeah, uh year 12 because we're a year ahead of you guys in queensland because we're so advanced orbital is really it was featured on a Triple J mix-up session. And I was working late. Classic. And I came home and I heard this uh, great album and I got home and then I just set up my stereo to record the rest of the night and it was Orbital Live somewhere. I think it was Glastonbury 95 mm. or something like this. That song just blew me away. And then I just had so many other songs. I was like, my God, who is this group? Yeah. So I really just got curious and um, started following them heavily. I grabbed everything I could that I could find of Orbital. I went and saw them uh, a couple of times. And I dare say, in terms of musicianship and just craftiness and experimental with sounds, they're probably the most experimental of the 
90s crop. Um, they didn't stick with one. They did a lot of style. They grabbed a lot of other guest artists and some great songs like Funny Break is brilliant. Why didn't um, they go mainstream, you reckon, like... like Funny Break like was Prodigy. a big... So, big why, but why didn't you think Orbital... A Perfect Sunrise had Lisa Gerrard, Australian mm. um, classical singer. You know, they had so many big songs, but they... Just too spacey and too bleepy. Yeah, and a probably bit a little bit, little bit too um, not, ca- not catchy enough for the for the like you know the likes of the Basement Jaxes and stuff that were around Fatboy Slim. That was very breakbeat, uh, a big beat kind of period. Videos uh, as well. Uh, I don't know if they put a lot of effort into their videos. As they the they did. they did put some effort in, but it was more like dreamy kind of soundscapes mm. and more conceptual spacey stuff. Whereas, uh, who did we have before that was... Firestarter, Prodigy. Firestarter. So, yeah, so Prodigy was the band that converted me from being a rockhead, and I used to call it, take those gay, kind of comments. Um, and, you know, techno was basically the word that meant anything that was electronic sounding for our group of friends when we were in the mid-90s, right? And... So after Guru Josh and KLF dropped out of the scene, there was like all these wild albums that was they were terrible, like trashy dance mm. tracks that not melodic. They were just horrible, and I hated it, and I couldn't get into it. And I was like, "This is barely music," and that's what made me just blanket everything that was going to have synthesizer with it was just shit. Little did I know there was a lot of stuff going on elsewhere in the world that was very good mm. um, that wasn't being played on the radio. And, or well, not at least on the stations I was listening to. And Orbital and Prodigy led the way. They, they grabbed the elements of rock, like the, the grunge guitars, mm-hmm. and, they, and the heavy bass was just an assault to the senses. Mm. And that's what brought us across, you know. All us grunge heads and rock heads were all the sudden Prodigy fans, and that mm. just converted into big sales for them and that world domination. They just really were the biggest band in the world there for about two years. Oh, they certainly were, and uh, their live shows are still known as some of the best ever. But as as a, a you know the Crystal Method and the Chemical Brothers, that that Fatboy yeah. Slim, um, you know most festival headliners at yep. that time. Junkie were, XL was another one. We like that, um, but we were lucky enough to see Orbital in the last few years when they came back and did a yeah the show. They did another yeah. What was it? that was at the. Hi-fi, did we see that? Yeah, but you know, their music does sound better live, as does the Prodigies, because of the heaviness of the the, the, the basses. And Just the, the equipment, they're such technical guys. Enjoyed those, Coxie. We haven't introduced the scotch that we are half a bottle through. Yes, this is Lagavulin. Um, the it's uh, from Elay. It's um, a West Coast peaty scotch. It's one of my favourites, and I know you like your peaty scotches, and it's very rare that I buy a Lagavulin or an Orkintoshin. Um, we've had a few Frogs, but I don't think we've had a Lagavulin ever on the scotch sessions. So this is the 16 year. This is a pretty special blend, a special um, year, should I say. Like, and here's a single malt. It's very good. It's sweetness it. too. Yeah, and you can drink more of it, right? Like mm. It's not one of those ones that's so... It's not a triple wood... Lafroy, you know. no, but we will sweat it out or we'll smell sweat it out tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah, someone's good. Some some Swedish person's going to smell us. I think there's some off fishery, I think.
empty Pointing every finger at me Waiting like a stalking butler Who upon the finger rests Murder now the battle must be Just because the sun is come Jesus
I knew there'd be a Radiohead tune somewhere in there. Uh, I don't know how early you'd be listening to them, but I think when I speak to people about Radiohead, it's more you, you everyone knows who they are, but who has actually listened to most of their labels. It says here on Spotify that they are fearless and adventurous 
inheriting the throne of Pink Floyd, David Bowie and Talking Heads. Is that how you describe them? I'd say Radiohead are the most progressive band of our generation in terms of changing their style, being adventurous and just being very willing to put it out there. And that's part of what being a band is. If you, So many bands start as great artists in their first you know, song, first album, and then fail to keep pushing themselves when they created something that no one else had done. And I think Radiohead are the ones that don't sit back there and go, well, let's just keep making 11 records that sound like the first one. Mm. They're like, no, let's just make records we want to make. And the fact they do that, I mean, they might not be doing that, but if they're faking it, geez, they're good at faking it. It's the kind of band I've always wanted to see at a festival, but I, ne- I never caught them live. Never I saw them, them at, uh, on the OK Computer Tour. So this uh, sort of group of songs represents my period when I was in uh, a couple of bands through university, playing covers and mixing up with originals. And more so originals as we got later on. None of it didn't do particularly well, but I started off with a couple of guys who I knew through a mate Robbo, who was a drummer. He and I played in jazz bands together, went through school together. And yeah, so they influenced my choice of music. And the big one who got me into Radiohead was Marty Smith, who you've met in London. He um, was really into bands like Elbow. The beta band. Um, who else was he into? He's just, you know, all these bands were dark and British, and I hadn't really listened to much of the British sound. And I came in late, and Radiohead were the best of it. I mean, that track there, I'm not sure what it was called, but it was a pretty. Uh, Fade out. Pretty deep one. Street Spirit, it's called in brackets. And it's very deep for me as well. That song reminds me of just a few days. Um, after my father passed away, actually, and for some reason it just was very good at letting me process emotions that I had at the time, and yeah, it's a really, really good song, and and Fade Out seems appropriate for when someone just passed away as well. Some ways it does, some ways it does. Did you listen to music a lot in those kind of times of your life those events um, did you use music to 100% it, I uh, listen to music especially to change emotions I can do singing practice for half an hour and it changed my day from being complete shit to feeling amazing mm. and I think that's the beauty of music and I think that's one of the things that I'm lucky that I had a family that supported that My we sing the carols every Christmas and when I go back there it's like the Cox family Von Trapp I'm very lucky to have musical sisters who play multiple instruments. She's only used to come home from Sunday school without training at all in piano and just jump on the piano and play the songs from Sunday school when she was a little kid. So, you know, having those kind of people around makes you appreciate music. And I think to sing is a very basic need of human beings that Australians feel insecure about doing. But... I feel that needs to change for us to be a happy group of people. So your uh, appreciation for music has continued into your adulthood. You're just past adulthood, though, probably a few months. Yeah, that's <laughs> I'm wondering what feelings you feel when you sing Trent Reznor. So 
Your second tune there was Nine Inch Nails. Ruiner. And probably one of the biggest industrial bands of all time. We spoke about uh, electronic industrial bands, but I would call uh, Nine Inch Nails a completely uh, different... Yeah, and so when my mates and Shannon and Robbo were right into Nine Inch Nails, it was just an explosion on the scene again. One of those sort of prodigy kind of moments where someone just came along and was of electronic background, new, and just had a sound that was different to anyone else and was controversial, just a weird... Like, he said shit. He made songs (laughs) like Star Fuckers, you know, I Want to Fuck You Like an Animal is right through the chorus of his best... One of his best songs, Closer. But then he does another song like Hurt. Ruin is somewhere in between. Ruin has got a bit of a... Just like a bit of a a dancey kind of beat, but then he puts in this so many other tracks behind that just add such layers, so many layers to it, and such volume to the track that you just go that downward spiral album is you know, probably one of the best albums ever made of, mm-hmm. in that period and and if any period you know he's a, he's a genius character we've seen him win Oscar awards and that now mm-hmm. so. It's not like it was a fluke. We spoke earlier about bands that made it in America and maybe Australia, but got little time airplay in, say, in, in the UK. Where do you place Nine Inch Nails? I don't. I think they were popular in Australia. I mean, there were no U2 or Super Band, but what about in the UK? Did, did they get much success UK, over there? Again, it was one of those weird things whereby I feel a lot of my UK mates missed out on a lot of bands like Faith No More and you know Queens of the Stone Age and and. Foo Fighters they heard a bit of because they were popular but then there are other bands they just have no idea about which was kind of weird when when I got over there when I started trading albums with mates of mine just going oh have you heard this they, they'd show me something like I was getting you know I was when I was hearing their stuff I was like oh yeah that's right that's the guy who left you know so and so and now he's with that oh yeah they're a good band mm. whereas they would come back to me and they'd go who on earth is that I've never heard any band like that. So Trent Reznor... They've been around forever. Trent Reznor uh, was not just a vocalist. Obviously, the way that his his, his works have now evolved and what he's doing now, he's obviously a pretty talented guy. Oh, he's a producer. You know, he worked with a guy, Flood, from who did the Smash Pumpkins albums. He did... Uh, to have a look at the people around him, Richard Patrick is the main guy of Filter. And he was the keyboarder, right. right? And then he just changed artists around him. I saw him in 1995 at an Alternative Nation, and he was the uh, Nine Inch Nails were a replacement of Red Hot Chili Peppers. I was very angry about that. And then he came out, and he just was in these uh, like suspender kind of pants, throwing <laughs> guitars, chart, spitting water, and throwing shit at his guitarist, playing piano you know, start breaking shit on scaffolding. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? I was like, this is brilliant. This is like... It's a show. You know? Yeah. Anyway. So I wonder if he does that in the studio. Good. So what has he done now? Like, what what are his main... Like, he's... Soundtrack for Social Network, got him an Oscar. Yeah. Soundtrack for Girl the Dragon Tattoo, the American version. Yeah. He's done uh album with his wife, um, which is called... Uh, something Angels. Um... He's done a lot of stuff. Mm. He's been prolific. And now he sits on the board of Apple. Really? Even for Apple Music. Interesting. Yep. Know that. Bit of 
It should be there. First band, going back, if we can remember, I took me a while to recognise the band. I recognised the vocalist immediately, but I just couldn't pick it. I'm thinking, fuck, was I stoned somewhere lying in my mate's bedroom at 3am? Um, for me, I, I, the rumbling guitars uh, I pick up on as well. Um, and it almost some of their tunes sound like something that Kanye West has ripped off, these big anticipation tunes. <laughs> Yeah. I thought he's he's probably been listening to a bit of Tool. So they're you know Tool gets called a prog rock metal prog metal, I don't know outfit. Um, I just think they're out and out one of the best rock bands around. Like the guy sings incredibly. They're not about image. They're about producing sound. Oh, well, they are about some image, but they don't give out interviews and stuff. They don't go. Are they a bit themselves. political? Are they a bit uh, socially conscious? I think. That's... Yeah, like uh, you know. And Ema's got, uh, you know, the only way she would fix LA is to flush it all away. So any fucking time, anti- any fucking day. Really? Learn to swim, see you down in Arizona Bay. So they may be a little just anti-establishment. They're kind of... They're just guys from outside of the main cities who see through the bullshit, pretty well-educated, and they happen to have the best drummer in the world in a rock band, as you can probably hear. And... Yeah, so they just I they were, I was singing I learned, had to learn that song. Didn't really know it that much. I heard it at, at in ninety five at Alternative Nation, and I was like, oh my god, this tool band is the real deal. Because I was there for Faith No More and and um, the Chili Peppers and other groups like that. Uh, Body Count was even there. And then, Body Count. Yeah, Body Count was oh, there. L Seven was there. Geez. Therapy. Anyway, yeah. So that was one of those moments where I was like. That was my first experience too, and then I was like, "Okay, I've got to get to the albums." Mm. So you you mentioned earlier, um, you know, sort of where where you were listening to Radiohead and where were you listening to Nine Inch Nails, but by that tool, were these just tool was because again, the guys I was playing with, Shannon was a massive Tool fan. Robbo was was influenced by Shannon, who was an older guy who a couple of years older than us, who was in school. And he was a guitarist. Mm. And he obviously, when you're playing guitar, you want to hear the amazing shit. And he was a bit of a, a geek in terms of science and stuff. And they talk about philosophy in their tunes. They talk about politics. They talk about uh, social commentary. And yeah. he was he passed that on to us. I just sang it because I thought it sounded fucking awesome. But, you know... man, when we played those kind of songs, it was one of those songs that people would go, who is that? Mm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we listened to three very impressive uh, bands there, Stuart, I have to say. I think uh, you and I would have met by now, beginning of university years, I remember you, uh, as definitely a Queenslander. You had the the manners of a Queenslander. No, you didn't. You were definitely a Queenslander, Uh, but you, you were also a little bit centric.
Foxy, uh, we're clearly in the UK, but I, I really, uh, I, I resonate with those two tunes as well. We spoke about a couple of things today. We spoke about centric vocalists, but we also spoke about bands that either made it in the US or didn't make it in the UK. The Killers were one of those bands that really made it in the UK, especially when we were there. Yeah, and the Killers is probably the best rock pop band since NXS. And their sound was just so good. I sang along to every track. You know, I got that Hot Fuss album and it made, reminds me of a, a massive trip I did to, um, to New York for a week there with mates uh, from Scotland. It also uh, typifies my time in Scotland. And yeah, and Block Party does the same thing. They're both acts that are really big, period specific, you know, bands because they just had such momentum at the time. It was just yeah. incredible. They were headlining most festivals, like both those bands. You'd see both of them probably on, you know, Tea in the Park, Glastonbury. V Fest, whatever it was, you know. I don't know how big the block party was back in Australia, though, when we were over in the UK. I mean, yeah. I think the Killers were quite popular. They probably made it to, to radio. But I don't know, block party, and you said earlier, the Killers, they're the kind of bands that you listen to and you want to, you feel like you want to go out and meet a chick. That's what I said, you know, because... You might have met a couple that year. Might have met one or two. And there was that kind of feeling. Like, you know, you Mr. Brightside, like the, the vocals, just like... Centric and she's, you know, and she's going to cab while I'm taking, having a smoke and she's taking a drag, you know, it's like, and it's all in my head, but she's touching my chest. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Got your little hot bit. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, it just gets you excited. And Block Party's the same way. And the reason that, you know, you haven't probably mentioned Block Party yet, but I thought... What was the tune? What was the track? Banquet. Banquet. So I don't know what's called Banquet. I don't know. I haven't listened to the lyrics probably closely enough. But that song was given to me by my mate Rick Cannon. He loves uh, he loved Bob Pope. He loves his music. He knows his music better than I do probably in that period. He was just crazy about downloading and reading NME every week. And just a bit hipster. But anyway. <laughs> uh, Block Party was one of those albums we traded with one another. He liked it. Catchy. And he was just like and I just went, Wow, they're good. They're on they're on song. Yeah. Great sound. A little bit dancey, a little bit poppy, a little bit rocky. Yeah. And yeah, like they also, and it's the one of the other reasons I put them in there is because this is the period that where I came up with the idea for so underrated, yeah. and they say so underrated in the song, and I used to say so underrated a lot. I don't know why I did. I just thought a lot of things were underrated. I thought you know, mm. slapping self stupid was probably underrated. I thought eating cheese that was kind of slightly off but tasted almost blue was kind of underrated. A lot of stupid things. And that's where this whole website came from. I just uh, used to say, that's so underrated. That's so underrated. And then I just came with the idea. And that's why we're doing the podcast. <laughs> and here we are. You probably could have fitted a few other of the Britpop bands yeah, in there, like Hi-Fi or Claxton's. and that yeah, that Hi-Fi, really Claxton's, Kasabian. Kasabian. Um, who else came close? There were 13 Senses. There's probably one you don't listen to, my mate. Um, they put me onto them, and yeah, it's just a lot of working around the UK as well. And there was a lot of good time for bands. Good mid, time, two thousands. Yeah, so that was nice. really good. Uh, no, that's you know, mid two thousand. Yeah, mid two thousands. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, mid 2000s, yeah, it's just a great time. Oasis was sort of dying down and a lot of the big Manchurian sort of bands, but then you just get this wave of great pop and rock yeah, you walk into a sanity store and, and you know the top 10 CDs there they're just big yeah. British obviously monkeys came out of that period too you know there's a lot of good bands right so we're period wise we're sitting in Edinburgh robbing down people as a job well yeah and in leisure time <laughs> you're a douchebag <laughs> All right, let's stop it there and then we'll uh, continue this in a second. More bass. Find your space. Find your space on, on the beat. Yeah. Round chemist, menacing that metal for this vibe. Oh, totally sore from Tokyo jamming. Now we planning, now we banning that mission. Now we dissing this man. Oh, my spam, but knocking you down. Come catch the sound, heavyweight now. Taking you there, we meditate. Wow, wait now. Walk to the light, that baptism. Medicinal positioning. Pitch it now, we fishing in my ginseng and acid. See my dicks never passing. Sass machine, leaning the lean, squirt till it hurts. Splurt my bambino, my Brian, oh my Eno. Whoops, my daisy, can see your face, never phase me. No idea, my oxy, Sunday, is he crazy? Yes, y'all, chicks in the bathroom, they hippie high heels with the lippy. Now we sick to the back, too. Uncool, cut of the root, the cut root. Now, Sonic, y'all, do see the light, see the truth. Now, we We fucked up, we tucked up Leave me to be foolish Cause pride don't know me Won't you walk with me slowly? Yes, y'all You got, got no time to be stuck One dust, one touch Irrigation, colonic More trunks for you, tronic We on it like a sonic We done it cause we done for a long time The crime, pokey, walkie See the codes on my, my walkie-talkie Break a one nine, break a ten Till we stay Chewer to the fate, cause it just can't be replaced. Put the poem on that dub plate, see it for that dub sake. Burn down that hatred, practicing the sacred. That state, that I stay with, that state that stays real. Cause most of the time, we keep it hard for meal now. Goddamn, motherfucking son of a bitch. Goddamn, motherfucking son of a bitch. Most of the time we keep it our core meal now.
Coxie, we would... You did suggest that I start with the first song, but I'm going to have to start with that last one because there was something... Uh, uh, well, I mean, the name Slipknot in itself is suggestive of white power, white supremacy, isn't it? It is, but it's also suggestive of just, you know, something brutal that ends something. You know, and... Those scouts. guys are brutal, and they're just, they're just, they, they were intentionally brutal, intentionally offensive, and they were intentionally the putting out messages that were from the submersive, from the the lower down people. That song's called "The Pulse of the Maggots," right? We are the pulse of the maggots, yeah. and that's it. They're just like, you know, they come from trailer, oh, tra- trailer, tra- trailer trash communities, drug fucked. You know, lack of social services, people dying young from drugs, so and alcohol, and not really having much opportunity in life. And those guys made opportunity in life by making similar. I mean, I'm not a heavy metal uh, critic, or I, I don't know much about it, but I certainly know that Slipknot is a band that you appreciate when you see them live, because I have seen them live a couple of times. Uh, you were right in the thick of it with me, and it's theatre. It's theatre, but it's also... It's melodic in parts. It's also sport in some ways. Yeah, I mean... It's just so physical, and that's what just... I could put that song on and do a a gym session back in the day, and and I could punch out, and I'd I'd probably walked around like as if I owned the place, because I'd just look like a... a You've been walking around around here. A crazy crazy man. But... (laughs) That's what it does to you. I used to, I used to listen to it when I ran marathons. So this goes all the way through that period. Break some world records listening to Slipknot. Where- well, you just, mate, it just motivates you, right? It, you can't be passive listening to that. That first one uh, oh, got me quite excited. I, I really, a period tuned for me as well. Like the, the dance rock, really moving into indie. But uh, Uncle... Um, one of these bands that we like that collaborate with a number of artists. That one was with Roots Maneuver. Yeah, so I had my first experience with Uncle before I left for overseas when they released Eye for an Eye. And I saw it on a late night rage session. Really? I was going to go see them play at the zoo in Brisbane. But then I couldn't go. And for some reason, um, one of my... Work colleagues, I think I gave the tickets to, and she raved about it, and I was fuming because I knew Eye for an Eye was just, and they had this amazing animation film clip as well, which drew me right in. Mm. The graffiti. Yeah, and no, it wasn't the graffiti one. No, it was like the progression of armies and stuff, all animated. Anyway, it was brilliant, and so anytime I heard any uncle stuff, I was into it. And then when I went down and saw you in London. And I show you some uncle stuff, and you were like, "I saw an attractor theirs on Freeland's this," and you go. Then we started looking more uncle, and then I got all the uncle stuff in one weekend. I got all of it, uncle sounds, uncle thing, and I gave it to you, and you were like, "This is a gold mine." And then you've just been buying everything. So get, and so, <laughs> oh, the other pets. Yeah, yeah. So you, so you just got right onto it, and then I was just like, "God, this is more into uncle than I am now." Well, it, just, like, it just captured. Um... I don't know, the, the, those musics, uh, not only those music scenes, but those, um, the indie and the electronic. Yeah, and it had a punch to it, had uh, rock vocalists, just, you know, it's a great soundtrack, anthems as well. So. Mm. Mm. 
That's those two, so GTMFSOB. I uh, harks back to my days with my mates Harry and Rumble when we went surfing in the Outer Hebrides, and you've met Harry, and he's, you know, that, that they heard that song for the first time when I put it on my iPod Gen 2 um, when we were, you know, driving around the far-off isles of um, Lewis and Harris, and they were both converted. Rumble was like, what is that song? It's like, <laughs> that is a song. Oh, that's right. That's a song.
going to start with that first one, Coxie. Um, French Bourgeois Shoegazer Electronica from 83. I'm not sure what track it was, but it was off Saturday Equals Youth, 2008. Skin of the Night is Skin the track. Of the night. Why did you choose that track? I think it sums up that album for me. It was very much a rhythm review on Pitchfork. I was running so underrated, I was looking for new acts, and MA3 popped out like an 80s nostalgia piece that mm. shouldn't have been for all the other reasons that they weren't 80s kids. But for some reason, they they nailed it. And uh, the young guy Gonzalez, whatever his name is, mm. is very good at recreating those you know themes and mm. sounds. Which he's done era. very successfully this century or this decade. Yeah, he's done very with well Oblivion with all this stuff. And, and uh, well, last ten years, he's done very well. So um, I did see them recently in in Sydney. The first time we saw them. Was it V Fest and oh, I saw them at was V Fest and they only played fifty minutes and then they played even less when they had their own private concert. So they were like they played during the day of the festival too. Yeah, they played during the day. During the day, um, but it was very good and mm. yeah, just one of those bands that just somehow just grabbed at the emotions and mm. that song is probably the one that grabs me the best off that um, that album. Sad Days Equals Youth. Mm. So. I don't even uh, remember what my review looks like from when I wrote that review. But uh, we've always included M83 in most of our Scott sessions, either in the warm up. Yeah, and again, you know, you know, it has. But dare say you're a bigger fan than I am now. Oh, I, it actually it brings me to tears. Some of the tunes. That's oh. that's how period it is for me. Um, and that's the kind of stuff they have, like songs like Steve McQueen and Midnight City and Kim and Jesse. They're all big. They're big songs with huge you know compositions that bring out emotion they're bombastic you really caught me with your second tune I really need to understand why you threw on Mike and Mechanics and so yeah so that's Mike and Mechanics The Living Years which is an 80s tune but why is it in now well Mike and Mechanics is it an 80s tune yeah well it might be 90 it might be like 89, 90 um, I'm pretty sure it's just before I went to high school. Mm. And so I was living with uh, Bucky and we were going every Friday night across the road to the hood and they had karaoke. And for some reason I stumbled across some power ballad album that I had from when I lived with uh, a friend of mine, Rachel. And she was big into her power ballads and we just started, I just started getting into power ballads, like things like Scorpions. They're heartfelt rock songs. So they've got the rock element, but they're also mm. heartfelt. And that one, uh, for a couple of reasons, it's, it reminds me of my childhood. It also re- reminds me of my father. And it's very emotional. It's a tragic story when the guy says, but, you know, it mm. always brings me to tears even just talking about it. But, mm. like, but it's one of those ones that it's just, it's quite a good nostalgia piece. And stops you in your tracks. It does. It does. Wow. What an addition to that. Uh, sequence of tracks I have to yeah. say but, uh, so I will say we've only got two left and this is, they're going to be a bit different they're not punching it out we're not getting angry anymore this is uh, this is where yeah the last uh, few years are represented I suppose do you want to get on with it or well, we'll just do a little outtake because I want to go back to mm-hmm. the those uh 
Waverly years, the Bucky years. I call them the Bucky years. Because actually the first time that I've known you... Well, it still happened, but anyway. <laughs> no, he's not dead, is he? That's he's right. Yeah, he's still going. He's in one nostril, but he's still there. But I, I want to go back to those years, because influential years for me as well, but the first time that I'd actually um, known you with a childhood friend. I mean, how many of my childhood friends have you known? I mean, he's not really... I've only known him probably a couple of years ago. Queenslander friend? He's a Queenslander friend. He's a rugby mate, though. Like, so it's a different kind of... He, he's seen me probably in situations that most people never will, you know? Like, nice to uh, see you living in a, in a place with a guy that was a, a friend from the past. Um, we had 12 years, I think, between seeing each other. Yeah, but you certainly made up for it because you really... Oh, we caught up drank with a time. lot of tankeries. Drank a lot of tankeries, drank a lot of scotches, drank a lot of red wine. He's a big Shiraz man, and mm. and we had good times, you know? How many, years, how many years in that little box, that little... It's only it was year. my escape, wasn't it? It was only a year and a half. I would just wander up the street to get you away. Know, you'd wander 50 metres and you'd be with us. Outtakes for you, Bucky. Outtakes. Outtakes. Esteemed guest. Of Scott session. number 11. Yeah, great session. I thought we'd do a few outtakes there.
on mascara and your party dress. I'm your national anthem, boy, put your hands up. Give me a standing ovation. Boy, you have landed, babe, in the land of sweetness and danger. Queen of Saigon.
Very nice. Very nice. Took me a while to get that last tune. I, I will start the conversation at the last tune, because that's where I'm at. Um, I managed to work out that it was the weekend. And I think this really actually demonstrates the range of your taste in music because we've been through quite a lot of different genres. And even at this late age, you are still listening to fairly... Well, it's not hip-hop. How do you describe The weekend? The weekend was just one of the top-rated albums and it was free. He was down, you could download his album for free off. He saw it and everyone was giving it scores of like, on Metacritic, it had something like an average of 91. I was like, it can't be a 91. I'm like, this guy can't be that good. And then I heard it, I was like... Is he producing the beats? Yeah, he's making it all himself. Yeah. I mean, amazing. And I, it actually now prompts me to go back and uh, listen to those albums properly. House of Balloons is just an amazing album. And that guy deserves everything he gets because he put in the work, right? Mm. I saw here his name is Abel Mackinnon. Tesfulia, it's a Canadian, but for me, it strikes me as Nigerian Canadian. To me, it looks like a Nigerian surname. I don't know what the last name. How do you spell it? T e s f a y e. Safair. I mean, he's Safair. He's you know he's got he's got his rhythm from somewhere. He's got a finished middle name, Macona with double K. Anyway. That's something for someone else to work out for us and then send in on a comment. But anyway, that's um, he's a great, great musician, and you can't deny the guy's got his own sound. Like, mm, really like it. He's a really punchy sound, beautifully sung. And you listen to this? You listen to him pre- I listen regularly? to that regularly. Yeah. yeah. Weekends, one of my well, regular listens. It's certainly going to be added to my rotation. Also, the first track and artist. I, I related to there um, and probably an artist that I wish I'm glad that I started listening to in my sort of late 20s maybe early 30s because she's quite a, quite a, a voice for youth she's a voice of a youth but she's a voice that seems to come from like an age past she's got a sound that sounds way beyond her years she says she's got a voice that you know harks back to the 60s or 70s mm. like it's just a it's got a sultriness and like a just a bit of deep just frustrated. Yeah, she's, she's a trouble girl. I, Airy. She, I think I think she would be. I think she'd be a tough gig if I took her out for a drink and a you know cheeky cocktail. But it, but that's the way. I think she just naturally is. I think comes out in her music and her lyrics. So what did you sort of relate to her music? Because I, I picked up a I, just, I picked up a verse in that tune that said that. You know, money is the author of success. This kind of wine, this kind of yeah, this kind of slag at it. Kiss, kiss. I'm your national anthem. Yeah, and that is the national anthem of our culture and the U.S. culture and a lot of other Western cultures. It's become a race of money, and unfortunately, only the people at the top are going to win that race, and the people that they produce. That's just a little social side note, but that's I think it's very true. And like, if you want to look at the stats on that, go mm. ahead and prove me wrong. But anyway, but interesting for an artist to. Uh, she's got a, she's, she says that, and like I'm, I think I'm. It's good that someone needs to say that, but also she's just a very good artist. Do you think it's those lyrics, those that commentary that attracts you to her songs, or just a combination? Oh, of... I think she's got a number of songs. Like you know, she sings songs about dudes, and I'm just I'm feeling for the. Yeah, you know, for her side, you know, and which is what you need. 
you know, he just walked away and never came back on Monday kind of thing. You know, perspective. Well, yeah, it gives you a bit of perspective on the other side of the argument, mm. which is always a valid one. So we've, we've burned through a number of tunes now, Stu. We've got a couple um, left. That's have about you got, it. Have you got, you got a few left? That's it. I've got two left. Oh, that was going to be the last two, but I realised I was going to have three, and then I'm like, oh, I better actually just add one. And These aren't just like spare of the note add-ons? No, they're not spare of the note.
Take you higher 
Another three from Coxie, and he kept me guessing the whole way. I mean, that you, you kept me guessing more than Mike and the Mechanics in probably about 2009 we were up to. But I will start. I'm going to start with the last tune. It took me to the last sentence to realise that that was the girl from XX. Then I realised that she is with Jamie XX as a, well, 
as a professional partner. Yeah, so so there must be a Jamie XXX track. See, there's loud places. That's from Jamie XX's uh, album, and called In Color, and I reckon the best album of the last year. Really? And Jamie XX is just obviously a very gifted producer, and she sings very well with him. So why have they continued as the XX? Because they did another album, but coexist. It was only like a couple years ago, so. They'll probably do another album in, probably next year, I'd say. Talented, very talented. But the guy's very... They're both students at the London Museum, um, University of Music or something or other. Arts or whatever, yeah, yeah. yeah. London College of the Arts or something like that. Yeah. Or, no, they went rather. Great tune. But anyway, yes, that's a great song. Right. And it fits in with the mood of, like, you know, mm. where you... Where I've been the last, you know... Is that the last 12 months for you, listening to that? Last 12 months? Oh, I'd probably say that's probably a bit over... 12 months now, that one. Mm. A couple of other songs probably, you know, it's strange. Like, I think songs have to grow on me. I'm not really like a quick, oh, that song's amazing mm. and I love it. You know, mm. it turns to be more so with me that I come back to a song. I'd never heard it, uh, even though I was a massive fan of the XX. Really, I really enjoyed that. And the one before it, you're going to you have to do some massive explanations. I don't, I mean, who, who are they? Skaters. So I went to New York last year. Before that, I was hanging out with my mate Paul, who you know, and he just is really into his music. And he and put me onto Skaters, and I was like, he has his best album of the last year. And mm. I was like, I think you might be right, actually. And after listening to it, they had some great songs. They're from Brooklyn, and when I was over there, mates of mine who I stayed with there, they're friends with them and they say, that, yeah, they are the real deal. They're really into their music. That's what it's about. Yeah, I liked it. The first one I picked up on straight away, I didn't recognise the track. I certainly know the artist. Um, mainly because we, we, we both moved to the UK in the mid-2000s at the time of the rise of Banksy and other anti-establishment and politically savvy type artists burial was another one of those guys who actually performed anonymously for a couple of years well he didn't perform even the guy was like it was a rumor that he was Aphex twin so when i first got onto him we didn't even know who he was everyone was writing about him i was following all the press from drowning sound and other sites and i was like man like who is this burial guy like I'm like, is he, you know, Liam Hallett or is he, you know, Ed Rowland or is he someone like that who's just doing another thing on his side? Because mm. the quality was that good. You know, I thought there must be someone who's really good. I mean, it and was. this guy was using SoundForge, a Sony program, a software, and he was intentionally denying himself listening to new music to just use his old father, his father's old LPs. Mm. And that's where you get the crackles. And I was just blown blown away by it. And I was like, and I put you onto it. I was like, fucking Burial. I'm like, Burial, uh, Burial Untrue was the album that I got onto. And that was the one that got all the crazy reviews. But Burial, Burial, I think it's just as good. And then mm. he's had uh, kin- uh, the Kindred EP, I think it was, the third one. Okay. Ash- yeah, with Ashtray Rap and stuff. And he's done a few remixes. He hasn't done it. You are, as, as such, but... Well, he's done a very significant remix in the last 12 to 24 months. Oh, yeah. Um, 
and one that kept him really from producing an album but he did a remix with Massive Attack oh he did yes and um, they'll no doubt play that in the next few days when we listen to them but again Burial in the mid 2000s and through into the sort of teens late 2000s um, for, for you and I yeah, is, yeah, is, is, yeah. is very period um, but he I wonder whether he's the same age as us or slightly older because all of his tunes take massive uh, he's younger than us remembrance from, from 90s rave culture so every tune that you hear of his will always emphasise a vocal in there and they are the, the 90s rave at vocals yep. um, so that's it so that's that's the th- last three of the Stephen Cox uh Scotch session. Were you surprised by choices overall? Uh, I mean, looking back, there were some ones that I knew that you would pick, but I was I was interested in, in the track and the order. Um, yeah, early on, there were some tunes that I didn't know about. I didn't know about a few artists that you were into. <laughs> the last um, the last six tracks kind of blew me away. Like, like the weekend, um, Jeff Buckley. Skater, a lot of tunes that I, I, I didn't really know that you were into, and I would have thought that you would have maybe gone a different way, but um, you've kept it very, very versatile. Important uh, trait in any music concierge. No, I'm not, I'm not really one to be in one style, so that's probably the one thing I would say. I'm, I'm always listening to different stuff. Mm. Well, we'll finish up tonight and uh, we will attend the festival and we'll do a few more, I think. Indeed, we'll uh, integrate this with the videos of the rest of the festival.